This is Ticker Symbol U, a podcast focused on highlighting advanced technologies that are transforming our lives and disrupting their competitors in the process. My name is Alex, and I'm definitely not a financial advisor. I'm just a nerd that loves sharing my personal vision of the future and putting my money where my mouth is. To learn more, find me at tickersymbolu.com or youtube.com slash tickersymboluyou. Let's start with this. Almost 75% of my audience comes from the United States, Canada, the UK, Australia, or Singapore. That's a pretty good spread, right? Well, the things that these countries have in common is that they have an incredibly high internet penetration rate. About 90% of the people in the US, Australia, and Singapore have access to the internet. About 95% of Canadians and people in the UK have the internet. In the rest of the world, the internet penetration rate is still at around only 60%. In South America, about 72% of people have access to the internet, and in some Central American countries, that number is as low as 62%. That means there's this extra level of potential growth whenever you look at a digitally native company that's doing business in these emerging markets, because their total addressable market will grow over time simply as more people get connected to the internet in those countries. Another thing that many of these low internet regions have in common is their inefficient, fragmented, and hard-to-navigate banking systems. That makes sense because the internet is something that has revolutionized banking over the last 20 years for the people and businesses that have access to it. Sure enough, roughly 60% of Latin America and Southeast Asia are completely unbanked, and that number is substantially higher for the Middle East and Sub-Saharan Africa. Compare that to the single-digit percentages of the unbanked found in countries like the U.S. and Canada. The third thing I want to point out is that these same regions also have significantly lower median wealth per adult than in the regions that my audience specifically, or for most YouTube investors in general, come from. In fact, the median wealth of somebody in Southeast Asia, Latin America, or Africa can be up to 10 times smaller than somebody in the U.S., Canada, the U.K., and so on. People tend to save around 20% or less of their total wealth, so people in Latin America, Asia, and Africa are saving far less than $6,000 per year on average. Here's how this all fits together. According to ARK Invest's research, big retail banks try to acquire customers that can put around $6,500 USD into a funded account. But as I just showed you, most of the world squirrels away much less than $6,000. Digitally native fintech companies like Square and PayPal can profit off of accounts as small as $20. That staggering difference is because a big retail bank needs to cover the costs of all of their big buildings, the staff inside those buildings, their large networks of ATM machines, advertising by physical mail, and so on. While these fintech companies just don't have those costs, so it takes much less for them to turn a profit. The big takeaway here is that big banks simply can't afford to go after these emerging markets, while fintech companies can. So with that context in mind, I'll be talking about another great fintech opportunity, this time in Latin America. The name of the company is Mercado Libre, which literally means free market in Portuguese. Mercado Libre, ticker symbol M-E-L-I, is currently the seventh biggest position in ARCF, ARK Invest's fintech innovation fund, and the 32nd biggest position in ARCW, ARK Invest's fund themed around advanced internet applications. Altogether, ARK Invest has just under $200 million in Mercado Libre, making it Kathy Wood's 52nd biggest position overall. It's also vying for a top spot in the $100,000 public portfolio that I'm opening when ticker symbol U hits 100,000 subscribers, which I'll talk a little more about at the end of the episode. 
Since your time is valuable, let's dive right into Mercado Libre. If you go to mercadolibre.com.mx, it looks a lot like Amazon, so a lot of stock analysts and experts call it the Amazon of Latin America. That's not really a good assessment of Mercado Libre for a few reasons. A lot of official brands and bigger businesses tend to move away from listing items on Amazon over time or even using Amazon web services because they feel that Amazon constantly undercuts them. Mercado Libre doesn't sell its own products, so it never competes with the other sellers on its platform. 28% of Mercado Libre's gross marketplace volume comes from these types of brands and businesses. Second, Mercado Libre allows hobby sellers and direct consumer-to-consumer -consumer sales, kind of like eBay. Those hobby sellers make up another 6% of the marketplace. Third, Mercado Libre is as much a fintech ecosystem as it is the largest e-commerce site in Latin America. They provide that Amazon-like marketplace, but they also provide a wide variety of financial services like mobile payments and credit cards. Mercado Libre's services need to cover the entire value chain of commerce on both sides because they're operating in an environment with much lower internet penetration. In fact, Mercado Libre specifically calls this out as some of their biggest tailwinds in some of their biggest markets, including Argentina, Brazil, and Mexico. The reason Mercado Libre thinks like that is because their services get visited much more often than many of their top competitors combined. So every person who gains access to the internet in Latin America is very likely to also become a new customer of Mercado Libre specifically. And growing your market share in a growing market is one way to achieve exponential growth. Because their ecosystem spans both the buyer side and the seller side of every transaction, I actually think Mercado Libre is much closer to being the square of Latin America than the Amazon, or maybe the PayPal and the eBay of Latin America if those were still the same company. Let's take a look at each business unit in a little more detail before diving into Mercado Libre's risks, financials, and future outlook. I already gave an overview of the marketplace, but let me spend a minute talking about the app specifically. Here are reviews for Amazon's app on Google Play. It has almost 2.5 million reviews and averages of 4.4 out of 5. That's pretty good. Here's the reviews for eBay. 4 million reviews, averaging a 4.6 out of 5. That's pretty good. Here's Mercado Libre's app, with an average of 4.8 out of 5, with over 13 million reviews. Holy moly. The reason I'm bringing this up is because Mercado Libre is relentless when it comes to focusing on the best user experience possible, and if any business wants to dethrone them, they'll need to provide an even better user experience than this 4.8, since many people will end up trying Mercado Libre first. The other thing I'll point out about this marketplace is that it's responsible for a lot of the network effects that Mercado Libre currently enjoys. Since it's already the biggest marketplace in Latin America, more new businesses will want to list new products on it which means more consumers will want to shop there for more purchases, and Mercado Libre can offer their other services to every buyer and seller on the marketplace depending on what they know about them. This acquire once and monetize everywhere model is the same type we see with Square's ecosystem. Speaking of which, let's look at their payment solutions next. Mercado Pajo was originally designed to facilitate transactions on Mercado Libre's marketplace, but now it offers a wide range of payment solutions in a growing number of countries, even outside the marketplace. I say this in every fintech episode I make, but I'll say it again here. 
There will never be a one-size-fits-all global fintech solution because every country has different regulations and infrastructures and cultures surrounding money and commerce. That's why I talked about the unbanked world population in the beginning of this episode. Good fintech solutions understand and are tailored to the cultures that they serve. Mercado Pajo acts as a payment service provider on-platform and off has a mobile point-of-sale device that attaches to your phone and lets you slide a credit card or use its chip, and has a digital wallet solution with a software development kit, again, kind of like Square. It also has a wide variety of financial solutions for merchants and consumers. There is also Mercado Credito, which can facilitate loans to everyone in the marketplace as well as provide highly sought-after cash advances for merchants. If we compare the app ratings of Mercado Pajo to some of its peers, we can see the same kind of ratings trend. Venmo, which is owned by PayPal, has half a million reviews with a 4.3 average out of 5. Square's Cash App has half a million reviews with a 4.6 average out of 5. Mercado Pajo has well over 2.5 million reviews and still has a 4.7 average. The app is far from perfect, but it looks like a lot of these services are doing a great job based on Mercado Pajo's massive year-over-year growth in total payment volume of 72% or 80% if you're just counting the total number of transactions. The next thing I want to cover is Mercado Envios. Sellers on Mercado Libre can opt into Mercado Envios, which is a network of logistics and shipping partnerships that Mercado Libre is constantly expanding. Today, over 95% of items sold on Mercado Libre's marketplace are shipped with this logistics solution. There are two things to point out about Mercado Envios. First, Mercado Libre's solution is a tech integration with third-party carriers and warehouse services. That means that it can add and remove logistics solutions from its network as individual nations change laws or develop new infrastructure instead of having to manage all of these things themselves. The second thing is that this logistics solution stops a company like Amazon from coming in with their own undeniably amazing logistics network and undercutting Mercado Libre with benefits like free same-day delivery, which makes Mercado Envios a serious long-term moat. There are a ton of other smaller offerings and opportunities that we can talk about, like their advertising service and classified section for off-marketplace sellers, and their expansions into new categories like supermarkets and groceries, or their expansion into more countries beyond the 18 Latin American countries that they're in today. Tweet me at ticker symbol U if you're interested in me covering any of those or other potential growth opportunities that you're seeing from Mercado Libre. I read all of my tweets because I'm always interested in what questions people have about these kinds of companies, and your feedback really does make me a better presenter and investor. For now, my opinion as an investor is that we should focus on their three biggest business drivers, their online marketplace that scales well to merchants of all sizes, their proprietary networks of logistics solutions, and their wide variety of fintech solutions, including payment processing, point-of-sale solutions, credit, and loans all of which provide a great user experience for both buyers and sellers. The good news is that's exactly what they covered in their most recent earnings results for quarter two of 2021. So let's go over those highlights next. The gross merchandise volume on the Mercado Libre marketplace grew by 46% year over year. That's huge growth. It was actually up over 100% year-over-year the last quarter, as well as quarter two of last year, but both of those quarters were during the lockdowns in Latin America. 
Just like every digitally native company offering an online service, Mercado Libre's marketplace competes for time with people going outside, going to the beach, going out to eat, and all the other things people want to do as the world continues to reopen. If we look at items sold instead of dollars, there's a similar pattern but with slightly lower numbers. When the gross merchandise volume is growing faster than the number of items sold, that tells me that buyers are trusting the Mercado Libre ecosystem more and more, because they're buying more expensive items on average, which only happens once you've tested out the platform and decide it's reliable enough to make bigger and bigger purchases. In Latin America, trust and reliability are a big deal because they're both much harder to accomplish logistically. So, buyer trust is up and seller success is up. Successful items per seller reached 72 items per seller, increasing significantly versus prior quarters. This forms a positive feedback loop because more seller success means more new sellers will want to join the marketplace, which means more choices for buyers, which means more and more successful purchases, and so on. That increase in buyer purchases and seller success, as well as brand reliability, is in part thanks to Mercado Envios, which now handles over 83% of all of Mercado Libre's shipments, or about 5 of every 6 items. Every country that Mercado Envios is available in is using the service more and more. Chile and Colombia are continuing to shift more and more volume to the network. 77% of all volume was delivered in less than 48 hours, which is up 28% year over year, and they're currently standing up same-day deliveries for some major Latin American cities. I think this is a really important thing to keep track of, because the better their shipping and their overall user experience gets, the harder it becomes to disrupt Mercado Libre over the long run. For Mercado Pajo, their fintech solutions, they're experiencing the same healthy growth as on the marketplace side. Total payment volume on platform grew by 72% year over year, and the number of transactions increased by 80%. Another thing I really like about Mercado Pajo is that off-platform payments represent almost 60% of total payment volume meaning this service has a life of its own outside of the marketplace. In a couple years, Mercado Pajo could be another serious funnel to bring in new customers into the Mercado Libre ecosystem instead of them all coming in through the marketplace, just like we see with Square and Cash App. The Mercado Pajo wallet saw a total payment volume grow by triple digits year over year because people are using it more often and for longer when they do. That's healthy growth. There's also great growth on the merchant and consumer credit side. They loaned out 40% more money quarter over quarter, which is up almost 5x year over year and are seeing exceptionally strong growth in consumer credit thanks to their buy now, pay later features. Don't sleep on how important that is. Buy now, pay later is becoming a huge differentiator around the world, as we know from Square's $29 billion acquisition of Afterpay. Just to hammer this point home, fintech net revenues grew to half a billion dollars in quarter two, which is a 104% increase year over year after accounting for foreign exchange. That $560 million represents almost a third of Mercado Libre's total revenue of $1.7 billion for the quarter, and I hope to see fintech represent a bigger and bigger chunk of that over time. That $1.7 billion is a 103% year-over-year increase. Gross profits dropped about 4%, but that's because Mercado Libre is spending money on growing their first-party business and shipping operations network. When Kathy Wood says that ARK Invest is looking for companies to sacrifice profits now to invest aggressively in their future growth, this is the kind of line she's talking about. Doing this really helps solidify Mercado Libre's lead in a winner-take-most market. 
What we don't want to see is spend on sales and marketing ballooning out of control over time. One thing I want to point out is that while Mercado Libre consistently beats on revenue estimates by over 10%, they've had insane surprises on earnings per share for three quarters in a row now. The last two quarters, they missed on earnings per share estimates by anywhere from 1,500 to 500% respectively. And this past quarter, they beat those same estimates by roughly the same amounts, depending on which estimates you track. Hopefully, your takeaway from that is that projecting and predicting earnings per share for this company is insanely difficult, which is why I'm sticking to things that we can measure, like revenue, market penetration, fulfillment rates, and user reviews. That's all the context I think we really need to look at the most recent Zacks report for Mercado Libre. I really like Zacks reports because they do a great job of summarizing the business at a high level and always put all the numbers for you in one place. The purpose of this episode was to give you all of the deeper context behind these numbers, so let me quickly walk you through the Zacks report and I'll also link it in the description below. Zacks gives Mercado Libre a short-term strong buy recommendation as well as a long-term rating of outperform, both of which are the best scores that Zacks gives. The rest of this report gives a brief overview of the company and some reasons to buy, all of which I've covered in this episode, as well as the exact risks you'd expect from a big, international e-commerce company that's still in growth mode, reinvesting profits to grow different business units, foreign exchange risks in the 18 countries they operate in, tough competition from global e-commerce players like Amazon and AliExpress, and the seasonality around the holidays. None of those are real risks to me because those all come with the entire industry, and anyone trying to challenge Mercado Libre will face those same risks. The other thing I really like about Zacks reports is that they show you comparisons to direct competitors. The competitors that Zacks selected for Mercado Libre are companies like Amazon and Alibaba, but also companies like eBay and Etsy, since they allow individual and hobby sellers, not just businesses. If we look at why they gave it an F for value, it's because it's trading at over five times the enterprise value to earnings ratio that Amazon is, and almost four times the price to sales. That's pretty expensive, so definitely not a value stock. Mercado Libre also has much more debt relative to its assets and the money that it brings in, which is pretty typical of a company in growth mode. And Mercado Libre is definitely in growth mode. Zacks projects a 75% growth on sales compared to Amazon's roughly 25%. So these two companies really are just in different parts of their life cycle. Hopefully, this deep dive helped you understand what Mercado Libre does in the context of the Latin American markets that they operate in, as well as which parts of their businesses they're investing in to keep growing exponentially in the future, and how Mercado Libre is actually closer to PayPal and eBay than it is to something like Amazon, thanks to its rapidly growing fintech ecosystem. Because it also has this extra tailwind of increasing internet users in Latin America, Mercado Libre is going to have a top 10 spot in the $100,000 portfolio that I'm starting when ticker symbol U hits 100,000 subscribers. I'm building that portfolio from scratch to compete directly with ARK-K, ARK Invest's flagship innovation fund over the next five years, or as long as it takes me to admit defeat. Thanks for watching, and until next time, this is ticker symbol U. My name is Alex, reminding you that the best investment you can make is in you.